0: Yeah, this morning, anyway, as a result of prayer meeting, getting back to what I was saying, we had, um, we were just praying and praying about, you know, the community and things like that and thinking about the church and just as I was praying, um, I just had this picture like of a spider web and thinking about the church in terms of that sort of stuff, which I'll be talking about as we keep going on, why, why that pitch is important. But, you know, sometimes we, we think of the church, like, obviously, as a very central place, right? We're coming together on a Sunday morning. That's an excellent thing to do. That's what we should do as Christians. We should gather together when we can and celebrate the Lord together. But during the week, there's this amazing um, opportunity that we have that we're actually out in community. We're dispersed out through community. And the power of the church is that we are a body centered around christ but we're not not sort of like confined to anywhere you know what i mean because christ isn't confined is he like god's everywhere we know he's everywhere and and he's given us this amazing body of people called the church and as i was i was thinking about it and i was thinking about trawler nets i don't know if you've ever seen those on tv where they'll show them bringing in the nets on those big boats but they let out I don't know, miles and miles of nets and they're just behind the boat and they're a big scoop and they scoop up all these fish that, that they catch and then they bring it all in and, and when you see it come up, it's like this big net like that, right? Just a big net of fish. And then they open the bottom and the fish fall out. It's all pretty cool. Um, if you haven't seen it, watch a video, YouTube it, and you'll probably find something. But it was like, if those nets didn't go out, the fish wouldn't come in, Right? So, the nets are out to to catch fish, but then they bring them into the to the trawler and they, they drop it down, and the fish are there they 've got the catch you know what I mean the catch is there, but if the nets didn 't go out, the haul wouldn 't come in so that picture started to stir up in me that yeah, as a church you know that 's what we are isn 't it like sunday 's an awesome place, but what if we just throw our nets out at church what, what if we 're just fishing at church for for people to become Christians like as Mitchell was talking today you know it's like what have we got this life that God has given us is it so real to us have we understood the grace and the power of Christ in our life yet to change things or not and and are we relying as a body of people on the church as we often think about it like where we meet together this is the church and so you know, often we, we do get people say things like, oh, the church isn't doing this, the church isn't doing that, the church da, da 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 Yet the church is us, all of us. So if the church isn't doing it, what's that saying? You're not doing it, right? That there's something not happening in your life, something that, that you're not connecting with God, something that you're not doing. Oh, the church isn't reaching out. What does that mean? You're not reaching out. The church isn't helping people. You're not helping people because you are the church. Right, obviously built in together as a body so that there's a power when we come together to do bigger things perhaps um, and to create hopefully an environment where people can grow in love and faith and learn to share the message of Christ wherever they are. So that's in, in our um, uh, vision, mission statement. You know, so that, that in the end, that when people come to Cornerstone Christian Fellowship, the whole point is so that we can equip people to share the message, the good news of Jesus Christ wherever they are it 's amazing what, what an opportunity for us to share the gospel, the fact that you have a job and i 've talked about this before in terms of of mission work when we think about mission work it 's like we often think, now I want to be a missionary, so therefore i 'm going to go through missionary school or whatever it is. A lot of people do that, I have to raise my funds, I have to learn about this new culture that i 'm going into, I have to make sure that um, I'm I'm speaking the same language, that I've got some understanding of these people that I'm going to, and we'll we'll think about mission like that in such a term of like, well, let's go out into mission, and it's usually overseas. Now, that is very good. There's no doubt about that. We should be thinking mission like that as well. But then it's like, wait a minute. Here we are, already financed because we got a job, already speaking the language of the community that we're in because we grew up here, already understanding a lot of the culture that's around because we live in this place. We've got this amazing advantage because we're already there, ready to be missionaries where we are. If you're a teacher, you know teacher language and culture. If you're a lawyer, you know lawyer language and culture. If you're a a, a boilermaker, you know boilermaker language and culture. Might not be good, but you know it. You know what people think and how they act and and their troubles, their fears and things like that, but we sort of put into a box this thing of missionary work as being something overseas. I'm going on mission, but uh, you'll see at some churches and maybe we'll put it up our back, back door there, you're now entering the mission field. As soon as you leave the church, you're now entering the mission field. God has placed you in your job. God has given you the people in your life, not so that they can be annoying to you, but so that there can be a chance for you to share the good news that is operating in your life. That's why you're there. That's why we as a church are out there, because God has placed us there, right? Does that make sense? And so often, we, like like I said, it's like we sort of segment Christianity, and, and it's like, A missionary is someone, if I said to you, what's a missionary? A lot of people go, yeah, a missionary is someone who goes overseas and and shares the gospel overseas and builds a church overseas, but really that's not it at all. Missionary means someone who's on a mission. And we know that that's what Christ has called us to wherever we are, to this mission that he has. So there's a couple of passages I wanted to read from. um, It's really interesting because it's both at the start of Jesus' ministry... And at the very end, sort of like his uh, an end appearance to the disciples, after he's already died and he meets them again, and, and the passages are quite quite similar. But we'll, we'll read through the first one now. Excuse me, just get some water. <clears throat> so Luke chapter five verse one to something. I can't remember where it ends. We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and as soon as both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O Lord, please leave me, I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Crazy story, right? You think about this. These are, these are fishermen that knew their tasks. They knew how to fish. They knew where to fish. They had been fishing these lakes for many years. The lake for many years. And who told them where to catch the fish? A carpenter. Now, I know there are probably carpenters that are good fishermen, but we're not talking about just going out fishing. We're talking about the trade that they're in. They knew what they were doing. And they caught absolutely nothing all night, but Jesus said to them, do something. They obeyed, and there was this great haul of fish. So much, in fact, that they couldn't handle it with one boat. They had to get other people in. There's so many pictures and stories in that. When we start to look at that in terms of people becoming Christians, being born again, that that the net of the gospel catching people and bringing them in, that one church isn't enough. We need two churches, three churches, four churches, or, or places where people meet. In this story here, you see the nets are starting to break, but it's always like this, isn't it? That we try and do things at our own strength, just as these people were doing. They were fishing, they knew, they understood, they had their great ways of doing things, but when it was the word of the Lord, that's when things changed. When God actually spoke to them, when Jesus spoke to them and he said, do something, they did it, there was a great harvest happen. And I want us to start to think about that as a church this year. So you'll see this theme sort of woven in and out. We've already talked about the harvest, but the harvest is already there. Jesus said it, right? He said, don't pray for the harvest. When you pray, you know how we do, and, and it's a fair thing to do. I don't think Jesus was saying don't pray for people to get born again or, or anything like that. But, but what he said was you shouldn't be praying for the harvest because it's there. What you need to do is be praying for the harvesters. In other words, for people to get out and start preaching the gospel and start bringing in the people that are lost and need Jesus. Now, not everyone will get saved. We understand that. But the harvest isn't the problem. There's people right now in your life where it's really, really ripe that if you speak the gospel to them, something amazing will happen. There'll be a transformation, there'll be an ear open, there'll be a heart ready to receive what Jesus has for them, the salvation. And so we're better off starting to pray for the harvesters. And why is that? I would believe it's this, because as I pray for harvesters, just as Mitch was saying this morning, this conviction came upon him, what's going to happen when I start praying for harvesters? God's going to go, you're one of those guys. You're one of those harvesters. And so if I'm praying for harvesters and I'm like, I'm actually doing nothing for Jesus, there'll be something happening in my life and a change begin to happen because I'm starting to pray for the harvesters, for people with their hearts just so alive and on fire so that they're not preaching the barefoot investor but preaching the one who saves. the one who saves. And you'll see that, you know, all the time. So we've got this net that's out there. And and as I said before, we start to think of it as the church actually being out in the community. It's not, this is not enough. That's why Jesus said, go into all the world. He didn't say, go and gather in Jerusalem, which is what the early church did. And they were moved on because persecution came. They were gathering together just like they did way back when they built the Tower of Babel. God said, go out into all the world and the people decided we've reached this plain, we're all going to gather together, we're going to build a tower. We're not moving on, we're staying here. And they built a tower that, that became their symbol that we are God. And God had to move the church on from Jerusalem, whatever it took to go into all the world, if it was persecution that drove the Christians out, He used that opportunity. But the point is this, that we are not just together, it's the gathered and the scattered, the gathered and the scattered, the ones who go out, but then they're bringing people in to a community of faith. Let's have a little look at a picture here of um, a spider web. So this is just something that sort of came to me when we were praying as well. And I don't know if you've seen other pictures of spider webs in, in Darwin. We've got this big spider called an orb spider. I used to go swimming in a creek and that there'd be these big spiders overhanging. But usually your spider sits right in the centre, right? But builds this web, this network all around that centre. Why? Because if the spider's just sitting in the centre by himself or herself, whatever, what's the chance of catching a fly? It's pretty, pretty low, or an insect, or a dragonfly, or a bird, whatever. But they build this web out that that grabs things. This web. Why is the web there? Because they know that if if that fly goes up near that stick there, that I'm not going to actually be able to move from the middle because I can't climb on anything for a start. But I'd have to actually sort of walk around that stick up, that stick over there and try and grab this fly coming past unless it was just luck. But there's a web for a reason. And when I look at that, I was like, that's us as a church, isn't it? A network. We're a network of people that are living and breathing and moving in the community that we're in, that are missionaries with support, with the language, with the culture embedded already in our hearts. And the spider only benefits because there's all this area out there catching insects so that they can go and grab them and wrap them up and suck their guts out and and eat. (laughs) We're not to suck people's guts out, but we are to think of that as people of God, aren't we? The spider's sort of like, you know, the church has to be gathered around Christ, doesn't it? Christ in the centre, Jesus is not a spider. I don't ever say that. I said that. I didn't say that. I'm just saying. But that's what it's like with the church, isn't it? That that Christ is in the center. That's who we're bringing people to. But we're out there in community. We're loving on people. And you know, I was talking about just Jesus last week and how he was just went around doing good, healing all those who oppressed of the devil. That it wasn't. That bigger mystery, as a Christian, what are we called to do? Love God and what? Love people. All people. We are, we're to love the church first. we are, to look after brothers and sisters first. but we're to love the world the same just as Christ loved the world and gave his life for it, that, that there's this love in our heart for people. Because you know how many people come in this church during the week, knock on the door while I'm in my office? come into my room and say, Neil, I want to be saved? Very, very few. (laughs) Very few. It has happened because God's so amazing. But guess who you reach? Guess who you're with and their life's falling apart and you share Jesus with them and, and they get saved. What an opportunity. What an absolute pleasurable, wonderful opportunity that we have because how many people are you in contact with throughout the week? Some of you probably hundreds, some of you less, but... But well, we don't want to be just toiling by our own effort. Now, I believe God wants us to put in effort, even when there's no result. There's no doubt about that. He said, don't stop doing good. Even if you don't see anything now, keep going because one day you will. You work hard, but, but there's something even greater. Who builds the church? Jesus builds the church. Who builds a spider web? The spider builds a spider web, yet each, each part of that web is designed to catch something that the spider's not actually doing physically, and Jesus builds a church, but how does he build it? He has this network of people like, like um, squares on the net, like the, the spiderweb there that are out there in the community that are out there sharing the gospel. Why? Because we're told to go and make disciples. Jesus will worry about building the church. But the church is built because his disciples are out there sharing the gospel with others. So I just wanted to look at um, the next passage which is in John and um, this is afterwards and I just love it because I just love how, how often the Bible you see these things and, and in this passage too, even though we're not going to read it, you know how John denied Christ at the cross? I don't know him. <laughs> and there's that thing, before the croc crows you will deny me uh, three times and he did. In this story here, as we see, John gets so excited as he sees Jesus and recognises who he is. But when he comes in, at the end of it, which we're not going to read about, but I'll just tell you about it, is that there's a restoration takes place. And three times Jesus says to John, do you love me? And he says, you know I do. He says, go and feed my sheep. Go and feed my lambs. And the restoration, these beautiful pictures are often throughout the Bible, you know that, that God doesn't leave anything incomplete in our lives if we just continue on with him and maybe even today some people are here like going, I haven't actually really lived for Jesus, I have denied him in some ways. i just tell you right now, Jesus isn't there judging you, condemning you, what he's saying is do you love me? Well then change. Do something different with your life and and with this picture here, this is just so exciting to me. We're seeing the same story happening as in the beginning when Jesus is saying, go, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. So John chapter 21, verse 1 to 3. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. Remember those names, the Zebedees? And two other disciples, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Sounds like half of my fishing trips, eh? We're going fishing and caught nothing. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? In his best English, fellows. No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. They couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Is that all I had? That's all I had. But can you see the parallel in this story? That there's awakening to their souls. The first thing Jesus said to them when, when, when he um, called them to follow him, he said, I'm going to make you fishes of men. And perhaps because Jesus had gone to the cross and died, certainly they'd seen him risen again as a saviour. But they're probably wondering, what are we going to do? What's, what's our mission now? This, this man, Jesus, the one we loved, who's God, man, who died, went to the grave and rose again, he's no longer going to be with us forever. His permanent relationship, the earthly relationship we had with him is over. What's the mission? What are we meant to be doing and we could say maybe they went back fishing because they were just like at, a, at Wits End. They're sort of like, Jesus ain't here to travel around with. What are we going to do? Let's go back to what we were doing before. I can fish. Why don't we go fishing? Maybe he just wanted to get out on the sea, who knows, and enjoy the waves and the wind and, and what it's like just to be out in the ocean and just wash away some of his fears and concerns in that, that peaceful place. Who knows what it might be? But whatever it is, we see at the end that, that when Jesus saw them, there's this reminder again of the mission that he'd given them right at the start. He said, you're not made for fishing fish. You're made for fishing people. And so again, he said to them, throw your net out. And, and the haul was amazing. Again, and, and don't you think it must have sung in their hearts as they recognized who this was? This is Jesus. In fact, John recognized that it was Jesus and it says he jumped in the water and swam to shore and then he pulled in all the fish with him. But this time the net didn't break. The fish were there and they counted them. It was 153, I think, big fish. And apparently fish can grow up to between 50 to 80 pounds. That's a big fish in that Sea of Galilee. That's a lot of fish. I guess those things are side things to the story and people try and make things of numbers and whatever it might be and add them up and take them away and this is what they mean and that's what they mean. But really this means here, guys, that we are made to fish men. And this is a reminder of the mission to those guys that even though I'm not going to be with you anymore, there's going to be a change. And he talked about the day of Pentecost in Acts. He said, go and wait for me. Go to Jerusalem, wait for me. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And as they gathered together in the upper room, the 120 gathered there together, praying and wondering what is going to happen, the Holy Spirit came on them. Like tongues of fire upon their heads and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues and went out on the street where people thought they were drunk. But they weren't because everyone from every nation who has gathered heard them speaking about Jesus in their own language. The power of the Holy Spirit had come on them. But this is a reminder of the mission. And you know what? It's our mission too. You're made to fish men. But not by yourself, not by your own power, but with the power of the Holy Spirit embedded in your life because just as we were singing this morning about that power, the the power of the risen Christ, the power of the risen one, the Bible says it's that same Holy Spirit who lives in you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And what's the power of the Holy Spirit? When Jesus said, go and wait, because when the Holy Spirit comes... And he comes into your life, he's going to give you what? Power to be witnesses. Power to be witnesses. And we are, like Mitch said, we're, we're afraid, we're, we're doubting, we're not sure if we're good enough to preach the gospel, we don't know if we've got the right words. And that's a fair thing to worry about. But we also have this amazing gift of the Holy Spirit to rely on. And I just want to encourage you during this week to really start to turn your life around. um, Personally, I don't know if you've ever seen or been in places in your life with your Christian walk where it almost seems like there's these amazing places and then there's less amazing places. There's this sort of ebb and flow in your Christian life and what I've noticed is the more I push into God, the better it gets. But then I forget to push in as much. We're not talking about works, guys. We're talking about connection. We can say absence makes the heart grow fonder, but it makes the mind forget. And so... We want to push into God. Why? And and I've found it in my own life. There's these times where there's this incredible power of God working. And you know when it is? It's when I actually push into him. It's not even a secret. And I know it. And I feel like that time in my life is coming again. I can just feel it building. And and I just said to Joe over the last couple of months, I've just been feeling more free and, and just pushing into that relationship more, just feeling the stirring of the Holy Spirit, if you've never felt it, can I just tell you right now, even though you don't feel like it sometimes, just start to press into God, it's an amazing place to be. And because I was reading this and I was reminding myself of my own life and I looked back through my life at the times when I was just sharing the gospel with everyone I met, where I was seeing results because the Holy Spirit was moving where it was like every day there was someone I had to talk to, every day there was someone who was interested in hearing the message. It wasn't because they weren't there before, because God said, pray for what? The harvesters. I was walking amongst these people, the, the wheat that's there, and I was seeing where the fields were ripe, because the Holy Spirit was guiding me and leading me, and it's no different for you. If you trust in Him, you will see the results. You will see the people you will understand and your eyes will be opened. And that's what Jesus said, look up because the harvest is ripe. Don't buy into the lie that people don't want to hear about God. Don't buy into the lie that they don't want to discuss Jesus. I've never found that throughout my whole life. There are some that are anti-God no matter what, for sure. But you know what? There's a whole lot of people that were hurting like you before you got Jesus. There were a whole lot of people like you trapped in their sin like you were before you got Jesus. There's a whole lot of people that are just looking for an answer because they don't know what to do and you are that answer. Walking along the street with them, walking in your workplace with them, walking in the barbershop, the coffee shop, whatever it is, there you are, the answer. Walking through the door. Let's get our hearts alive to that. Father, I just want to thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, that the church is built by Jesus, that it's not our job. Our job is to just go and make disciples. So, Father, I'm just praying that over this year that this desire within us would grow, Father God, that we might come alive to you, Lord Jesus, and just have that power residing in us. Through your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.